Hey, what's up, everybody, and thank you for checking out the Derek Diamond Experience. This week, we will be looking into the world of filmmaking with writer, director, and producer Jack Thomas Smith. But first, I want to tell you about a fantastic new album from my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers. It's called Murder Mystery Night and features 10 original tracks, including their new single, Carne Asada, and Twin Peaks, which happens to be the theme song of the Derek Diamond Experience. Murder Mystery Night is currently available on iTunes, Amazon, Google Music, and Spotify. And if you're interested in booking them for shows, like them on Facebook, just search for The Unicorn Wranglers. And don't forget to follow them on both Twitter and Instagram, and those handles are at Wranglers. That's at U-W-R-A-N-G-L-E-R-S. You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. Derek, Derek. Diamond, diamond, diamond. Experience! Welcome to episode number 57 of the Derek Diamond Experience for the week of May 25th, 2015. That's right, it is Memorial Day and hopefully you are having a safe but fun Memorial Day. Most of you will probably have the day off from work. Uh, unfortunately, I do not. I have one game left of the gauntlet that's known as the 10-game homestand at Pensacola Bayfront Stadium. But after that, I will be uh, having a little bit of downtime and having a fun weekend with my illustrious girlfriend, Margo, who is sitting across the room from me at this very moment in time. Uh, we've got a nice weekend at the beach planned, and I know I can't wait to just get away and not worry about work or anything. Just fun, relaxing times. But other than that, uh, there's not a ton that I really want to discuss in this open. I mean, work's really been the only thing I've been doing the last few days. So we're going to cut right to the chase with our guest this week. And it's someone who I've actually interviewed before back in September. He is a filmmaker named Jack Thomas Smith. He's from New Jersey. And he came on the show back in September to promote his film Infliction, which is a found footage slash psychological thriller type film, but it's actually really well done. It's a lot different than other found footage films, and there's actually a reason for it. It's not just someone holding a camera just for the sake of doing a found footage film. There's actually a reason why it's shot the way it is, and paying attention to little detail like that is something that I really like, but he has a new project that he's working on called In the Dark, and he just launched an Indiegogo campaign for it, and he asked if he could come back on the show to promote it. And of course, you know, I said yes. He was really fun to talk to the last time, and honestly, I think we had more fun this time. Mostly just talking film in general. Uh, I have watched Infliction since we last talked, the struggles of indie filmmaking, and even a little bit of sports discussion. So all you football fans will definitely enjoy this as well. So sit back and enjoy this wonderful conversation I had with Jack Thomas Smith. Welcome 
Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience here with my very special guest this week, one of the few two-time guests here on the Derek Diamond Experience. We have filmmaker Jack Thomas Smith. Jack, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, man. It's great to talk to you again. Absolutely, absolutely. So what have you been up to since we we last talked? We, I interviewed you back in September, so you know several months have gone by since then. I, and you know, I know you had Infliction, uh, your latest film, which you know we talked about last time. Has it been in any other uh, you know festivals or anything like that since we last talked? Yeah, since we last talked in September, um, Infliction has had a, a number of screenings. Uh, you know, since then we screened at Chiller in uh, Parsippany, New Jersey, the Chiller Theater Expo. Um, Screened at Days of the Dead in Chicago. Um, it was at the Macabre Fair, uh, Macabre Fair Film Festival in Long Island, and Infliction actually uh, uh, it won Best Screenplay. So I, I was, you know, I, I got the award for Best Screenplay. Um, <clears throat> we also screened uh, at Grindhouse Nights Cafe Z in Union, New Jersey. That was a blast. Uh, and then just this past weekend, we did a screening at uh, the Philadelphia Comic-Con. Uh, and that place was absolutely out of control, man. I mean, there oh, had to have been 80,000 people there. I mean, that's what they said throughout the course of the weekend. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Burt Reynolds was there. And, uh, you know, we got to watch him speak. So, uh, yeah, so it was it was a great experience to be able, at Philadelphia Comic-Con. So, yeah, we've... Uh, We've been really busy promoting Infliction, and it's been doing great uh, in DVD sales. And, uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of what we've been doing since we last spoke. Awesome. Yeah, it sounds like you've been really busy. It's been crazy, man. I mean, the, uh, you know, the social media campaign that we've been waging with, with Twitter, I mean, it's it's like day and night. We... We're up to, God, it's got to be over 125,000 followers now between all 10 accounts that we have uh, combined. Um, yeah, and that's the whole thing. I mean, nowadays, you know, uh, video stores are gone. So everything is done, done online, you know, so it's all social media. You send out a tweet, you, you know. Um, generally what we do is we'll, we'll follow a hundred people a day on each account. So if we got 10 accounts, we got a thousand people that we're basically marketing infliction to free, you know, it's just free marketing. Um, you know, let's say half of those people follow back every day. Well, then we send them a direct tweet with the trailer. We'll send them a direct tweet with an exclusive clip from the film. Um, and, and what's crazy about that is people will watch the trailer or, or they'll watch the, the clip and then they'll go to iTunes and buy it, you know? So, so someone, you know, today that had never heard of infliction yesterday can actually watch the trailer today and buy the film online, you know? And, and I've had people tweet me, you know, Hey, just picked it up at iTunes, you know, just, just got it at, you know, Amazon. So it's, it's crazy, man, the power of social media. It definitely is, and one thing I wanted to to ask you about before we get more into uh, infliction, as an independent filmmaker, what are some of the challenges that an indie filmmaker might face that a you know quote unquote mainstream filmmaker wouldn't? Oh, I mean that's a great question. I mean it's it's so many different things. I mean one. 
is the money, um, you know, the, the production money. You know, when you have like, you know, when you have Hollywood, forget about it. I mean, their budgets are astronomical. Um, <clears throat> you know, it, you know, they've, they've got hedge funds backing them up. Uh, generally independent films, it's, you know, you have to go out and find these unique ways to raise your money, whether it's through friends, family, acquaintances, you know, people that are just, you know, looking to get in to a independent film, you know, uh, you know, with, with smaller amounts of money, you know, than, than the Hollywood machine, uh, that, that they may have. Um, then on the flip side, when the film is done, it's marketing, you know, I mean, if you look at some of the major films I mean, they'll spend a hundred million dollars on advertising, you know, whereas, you know, like I just described with infliction, cause it was a smaller film, the marketing budget, you know, through uh, Virgil films who released it, it, it was small, you know, so it, it just, you know, because you don't have the video stores anymore. So you don't have this mass market now. So everything's done online. So there's just. It's it's just there's not a lot that needs to be spent on marketing a film online. It's it's just really Twitter, Facebook, you know, just just doing it that way, sending out press releases. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when you're talking about the Hollywood machine, they can throw one hundred million dollars into marketing a film and just saturate the, the you know, TV stations with commercials but basically, you know, what I think a lot of independent filmmakers do do wrong is they just make the film and that's it. And they have to understand that it's, you know, it's a three step process. It's one financing. you got to raise the money Two, you have to make the film and then three, you have to market it. Um, you know, and so it's 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 like a three headed animal that you have to you have to do that in order to to become successful, generate enough attention for your work that can ultimately, you know, lead to the next project. Yeah, I I totally agree with with all of that. And uh, another thing is, you know, working on an independent film, you obviously don't have the budget like you mentioned that a major Hollywood film would. Mm-hmm. But working with a low budget, do you think that that makes you as a filmmaker more creative? <laughs> Oh, 100 percent. I mean, you know, and that's that's not to minimize work of, of you know, big Hollywood directors because, you know, some are amazing as well. But you have to be creative. I mean, you have to know, um, it, you know, one common mistake that a lot of independent filmmakers make. Um, how can I describe it? In other words, if you want, if you're able to raise one hundred thousand dollars, you can't do Star Wars. OK. Right. In other words, do a film within the the reality and restrictions of the money you can raise okay so if you can raise a hundred thousand dollars make a hundred thousand dollar movie don't try to go out and do star wars or jurassic park because the effects are going to look terrible because that's all you you know because your money's limited and it's going to ultimately hurt the end product so you know it's in, in other words yeah, I mean, uh, Hollywood, they can just throw money at everything and that can fix it. You know, the, the script could be bad, but if it's, you know, if the effects are awesome, you know, people can can become engrossed just by having the big bang of a Hollywood film. Uh, but with indie films, um, you you have to understand the limitation of, of a budget, you know, and keep your script within those limitations um, but then also a lot of it is is creative filmmaking. It's it's create you know being creative with your locations. You know, Matt, you know when I did my first film, Disorder, 
Um, <clears throat> we shot at this abandoned farmhouse. The farmhouse was like 300 years old. It was awesome. We used the, the location for our main character's uh, residence. But we were on, honestly, we were able to fake about 10 different locations out of this place because the house sat in the middle of nowhere. There was woods right right around it. So we were able to do all of our chase scenes in the woods out, out of this location. There was a pond out behind it. So we were able to fake a, a murder scene, you know, a murder scene that took place at, at, you know, at a pond that's supposedly on another part of town. So that, that's that's just all part of the process with being an indie filmmaker is knowing how to be creative in your shooting, understand the limitations of your budget and keeping your story within that reality and then also maximizing locations. I would have loved to have had you with this uh panel that I did uh, a few weeks ago. I was at a, uh, a filmmaker's meet and greet that we had uh, here in Pensacola, and we did a panel called uh, Filmmaking on a Micro Budget. And I, <laughs> and I got to, to moderate the panel, and you, you touched on all the main points that we made, is if you know you're going to have a low budget, don't write you know with all these cool you know lightsabers and beams and special yeah. effects. Just right within your budget and it, it it does make you more creative in my mind because I've I've made a short film myself with no budget. And right. and another thing you said is maximize your resources and you know use locations. You know, use locations that you know you'll have access to that you don't have to pay anything or pay very little. That That's way right. the you know, go with reliability when you're doing Absolutely. something like that. Absolutely. I mean, perfect examples are Brothers McMullen. You know, I mean, that whole movie was done for 25 grand. I mean, Clerks, you know, Kevin Smith, he shot it in black and white, you mm -hmm. know, and he shot at a store that he was working at. Um, and he all, kept it all in, in one location. I mean, honestly, Blair Witch Project. I mean, would they do that for $25,000, I think? So, um, you know, those are just some examples of making, you know, small films that, you know, they understood the restrictions of their budget and they, they shot accordingly. Definitely. And mentioning Clerks, and it's one of my all-time favorite movies. I mean, it, it's funny. The dialogue is smart. The characters are great. But to me, the story of how that movie was made right. is just as fascinating as the movie itself. Because Kevin Absolutely. Smith Kevin Smith has told that story you know, several times how he made that movie, you know, by maxing out credit cards and, you know, getting by on what little he had. But, you know, it, it's to me, it's I think that would be more fun than just doing a movie that, you know, you have unlimited access to because, you know, a lot of big budgets, you know, big budget movies I enjoy watching. Like I loved, you know, the new Avengers that came out and it had all kinds of great special effects and everything. But a lot of movies, the big budget ones specifically, kind of lose sight of, at least to me, what's important with movies, and that's telling the story. I agree. That I agree a million percent with you on that. I mean, that's that's the whole thing is that it's all the smoke and mirrors of the big Hollywood movies that, you know, just throw massive effects, massive sound effects, just more, you know, uh, a sensory overload on everything. And and then suddenly we have a movie, you know, and, and the the day it's a shame that the day is gone where, 
you know, if you look back at the films of the 1970s, you know, movies like The Godfather and Deer Hunter and, you know, Annie Hall and Rocky and all these amazing movies that came from the 70s, um, they were studio backed films, but they gave the filmmakers so much freedom uh, to uh, to be creative um, and they allowed the filmmakers to shoot everything on location, you know, they, like Raging, uh, I'm sorry, not Raging Bull, Taxi Driver. You know, Taxi Driver was shot in New York. It wasn't shot on a back lot in L.A. to and being fake to look like New York. It really was shot in New York. And the studios gave these filmmakers so much freedom and so much creativity that if you look at a lot of these films from the 70s, they almost look like independent films, even though they weren't. I mean, they, they, they did have studio backing, but they looked like indie films. They felt like indie films because it was all about the stories, the characters. They, you know, they emphasized all the characters and all the stories and, you know, and then, you know, everything else followed. So but then what happened was, you know, some, you know, some some of these directors, because they were left to their own devices, they just went out of control with the budget um, some of the studios got in trouble, so they had to, to rein everything in. And then that's why in the 80s, you look at, you know, all these films, everything was shot in L.A. in the 80s. I mean, everything, because the studios wanted to, to keep total control on, on everything so that, you know, they, they weren't allowing a, you know, a reckless filmmaker, let's say, to just, you know, blow a budget out of, out of proportion. And, you know, and it's a shame because I think there can be a balance. I mean, I think Hollywood can make bigger budget films, but also emphasize the story, the characters. Um, and it doesn't always have to be your quote, quote unquote, art house films. I mean, why, why, you know, why does it have to be? And look, look at the original Star Wars I mean, what an amazing story, right? And, and I, I was mean, just about to bring that up. Yeah. So you can do that. You can do it. You can do it. You know, you can make a big Hollywood film and have great characters and great story. Jaws, you know, you, you mm -hmm. can do it. So it doesn't always have to just hang on effects and sound effects and Big Bang. And mentioning Star Wars with the originals. I don't even think of it really as enjoying it for the space battles and the special effects. I think of it because I love the characters. I love Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Chewbacca, the droids. You know, I, yeah. I like all of them. They're all great characters. I agree 100%, man, and that's it. I mean, <clears throat> you know, for its time, the, the effects were, were, you know, state-of-the-art. Um, I mean, that's a given, but... I remember at that time period, there were movies coming out that were, you know, ripoffs of Star Wars or trying to ride on that that whole wave of, of success of the sci-fi movies. And so many of them fell short because they were all just about the effects. They didn't have the story that Star Wars had. They didn't have that 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 emotional connection you had to the characters in Star Wars. So the point is. You can make a big Hollywood movie and you can still emotionally connect the audience. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be both. That's what I'm hoping with the new Star Wars that's coming out this year. Is, and I love that they're using more practical effects mm -hmm. and not just you know shooting everything on a blue screen like they did with the prequels. And I, I'm not sure if you know this, but uh, have you seen any of the, the new trailers? Oh, the new trailer looked amazing. 
I mean, looked amazing when when you saw Han Solo at the end with Chewbacca and he's like, Chewie, we're we're home. I mean, that that like gave me chills, you know, to see. I was like, oh, this is awesome. I think it looks great. I, I think I mean, I'm I'm praying, hoping that it's good because I wasn't a fan of the newer three. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, I don't know, man, fingers crossed. It looks great. I'm not sure if you know this, but the the droid that is on the that's the ball that rolls with just the mm-hmm. little droid head. That's actually a real droid that they built. It's not CG. That's amazing. That's and, amazing. Because I in the first teaser they put out, I thought it was I thought it was CGI. You know. Mm-hmm. So, but that yeah, that's amazing. And 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 I also heard that J.J. Abrams is shooting on film. If if I heard that correctly, I believe you were correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That that means that he's going. He wants this to be as authentic to the original three as possible, and that is totally cool. And it's great because with these uh, franchises like Star Wars, the people now that are making these new movies grew up with the originals, so yeah. they're they're gonna want to make it as close to that as possible. And to me, we're all winners with that. Right. I mean, I'm you know I'm so looking forward to it and i i know i'm definitely going to be there at midnight when when that thing comes out i'm going to be one of the you know screaming people probably in costume <laughs> i'll have a lightsaber in hand and just going crazy so that's awesome yeah opening day i will be there i agree <laughs> absolutely so um infliction uh we we talked about that last time you were on the show uh, and since then i have watched it and cool. I, I wanted to let you know that I, I really enjoyed the movie, both from a story aspect and the way it was made. Because, oh, thank you. especially like the scene that jumped out to me from a technical standpoint is when you see inside the the SUV for the first time, and you see all these GoPros set up, and it's cutting between the different cameras and the camera that one of the brothers is holding, and that that was just so cool to me, and it was really well done. I, I really appreciate that, man. Yeah. And that that's the whole thing with Infliction was that, you know, it's it's a quote unquote, you know, found footage film. Um, but I, I think a big problem with found footage films is, you know, like Cloverfield, for example, you know, everyone's being chased by a giant monster in New York City. But yet, you know, the, the guy with the camera won't put the camera down. And, you know, that to me doesn't add up. You know, it's one of those, you know, monsters chasing you, put the damn camera down and run, you know. Um, And with Infliction, I didn't want to do that. You know, I wanted there to be a reason why they were taping everything. And so, in other words, the cameras were as important as uh, to, to, to the story as what they were doing. There was a reason why they were recording everything there was a reason why those cameras could never be shut off and and it all comes together at the end so i just i didn't want it to feel contrived like okay we're going to go murder people but we need to film it and i have absolutely no reason to do it other than just wanting to record it so um so i'm glad i i appreciate that that you you know technically you you caught that and i i really appreciate that right and that's Another thing I was going to get into is that they had a reason for filming everything, you know, and it, it, to me, I love when little details like that are explained in film because I, I'm a very curious person by nature when it comes to that type of stuff. And I'll be sitting there watching a movie and I'll think, 
you know, I wish they would explain this thing a little bit more. Like, why is this happening? Why, even if it's just a small little detail, I, I enjoy when that happens. And I, you know, as a fan of film, I appreciate that you actually did that. I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah thank you. And I, I just, I, I, yeah, and I just, I'm the same way you are, man. I mean, I will, you know, I, I don't know if you ever saw Ed Wood, <laughs> uh, you know, the one with Johnny Depp, Tim Burton directed it. Right, yeah, uh, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Oh, it's a great movie, man. I mean, Ed Wood was just like this, this horrible film director back in the 50s, and he makes a comment that he says, uh, it's a movie. No one ever pays attention to the little details. <laughs> you know? So it's, yeah, yes, they do. You know, and I, I agree with you. I am one of those that I do pay attention to the little details. And if, if something doesn't add up, you question it, you know, and that's, and, and even sometimes it's subconscious with, 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 uh, you know, people watching films where it's like, okay, Something didn't feel right about that scene, you know, so why is that scene bothering me? Um, so, yeah, I, I just went whenever I write, whenever I make films, uh, I painstakingly go through it to make sure that everything adds up, makes sense. Um, you know, I just I don't like that, you know, hey, you know, let's just assume that the audience is you know, lost in the story and they'll overlook things. I just, I don't want to, I don't want to do things like that. Oh, definitely. And, and like I said, you know, I, I appreciate you doing little details like that. And another thing that I really liked about the movie, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to give away any spoilers for people who haven't seen it yet, but watching it from the very beginning, I had this feeling of, you know, uneasiness throughout the whole thing and I, I think that was good because you know you're wondering what the motives of these guys are and you know throughout the film you know get, having this feeling of tension and uneasiness and it's building throughout the movie I, I thought was just great because to, to me a movie is a movie is also just about you know feeling as well sure. it's, it's supposed to incite uh, emotional response and, sure. and and it it did so I, I thought you know again you you did a, a great job of doing that yeah thank I mean and that's that's another thing I mean thank you for catching that as well because the the real challenge with infliction was that it it was shot as found footage so what that means is is that you know you don't have a musical score because it's supposed to look like real footage so you know what the challenge is with doing a film like that is you take a film like The Shining, a film like Halloween. These are kind of slow burn, moody horror films that are really driven by their musical score. If you if you took the music away from the original Halloween or from The Shining, they would probably be boring films. So you look at Infliction, it's story driven, it's character driven, and it's shot to look like a documentary. So you don't have the luxury of you know, cue creepy music to build the tension in the scene. And then beyond that, you look at other found footage films like Cloverfield or Quarantine, where they were shot as found footage, so they didn't have a music score to, to propel the tension, but they had crazy sound effects. You know, you had a, in Cloverfield, you had a monster knocking buildings down, the military firing rockets and machine guns at it. So the sound design essentially acted as your musical score. You know, with Infliction, I didn't have either. 
you know, I, I didn't have a, a, a musical score to, to move the, the tension forward. And I and because it was more of a psychodrama that was just driven by these the two brothers and their family and and the story. Um, I also didn't have monsters tearing buildings apart or military firing machine guns. And so that was a challenge. I mean, that was really a challenge to keep the audience engaged, um, you know, with a lack of sound effects and, a, and, you know, and a lack of a musical score. Well, it's like that old saying, silence is golden. Mm. And, and I think that, you know, not having sound effects and not having music and ha- having those silence you know, silent parts really adds to the, the uneasiness that I was talking about. There you go. Exactly. I'll, I definitely agree with that. Uh, what, one random thing that I, I wanted to, uh, to talk with you about uh, before we get into uh, your next project that you actually have an Indiegogo for. Um, I had uh, your girlfriend Mandy on my show last week, and she was yeah. mentioning that uh, you were a big sports fan, specifically football. <laughs> so I hard. So uh, what? Who? Who is your your team that you follow? Oh, I'm a, I'm a big Philadelphia Eagles fan. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. So you, yeah, you guys have had uh, quite the interesting off season. Oh yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love Chip Kelly, man. I mean, he's he's either a com- he's he's either completely insane or or a genius. It's one or the other, you know. But one thing you got to give him credit for he he wants to do things his way and he's he's gonna do it so you gotta you gotta respect him for that but like what what was it that you know caused you to be an eagles fan well i'm originally from philadelphia i was born there my whole family is from there Uh, my dad is a diehard eagles fan you know diehard phillies fan um so yeah it, it honestly just came from my father came from my family just you know living in philadelphia you know i was born there lived there until i was about eight uh, you know, and then even moving to New Jersey, you know, where I live in New Jersey, you get the Giants, the Jets, but you also get the Eagles, you'll get Yankees, Phillies, you, you know, cause you're kind of sandwiched between New York and Philadelphia. Um, so that honestly was it, man. I mean, it was just living in the region and just my family, you know, all being diehard Eagles fans. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about the football season this year, man. I, I think the Eagles are going to do great. Well, I, I hope so. I, I have a, one of my coworkers and you know, one of my, my good friends is, is an Eagles fan. So I, I'm, I'm certainly hoping so. But it, it's, it, it has been interesting because, you know, to, to me, even though I'm into all these other things, like, you know, I'm into the podcasting, I do film, yeah. I'm, you know, a bit, I'm a big nerd, and I, I'll admit <laughs> that on air, I love video games, I love, you know, Marvel and DC movies, but I, I, I'm a huge football fan, I have been since, you know, I was a kid, and, and growing up in the South, uh, mo- it's mostly college that's big around sure. here, and then I started watching the NFL, uh, probably in the mid to late 2000s and you know since then I, I can't I can't get enough football to me things are just a little bit better when when you know football is going to be on TV in the weekend oh I, I agree man. <laughs> I, I agree who's your team um, I am a Steelers fan oh you're a Steelers fan see they're my second favorite team Pennsylvania so oh, nice nice yeah, yeah I, well, I, 
I love the Eagles, and then I kind of look at the Steelers as like you know the the second team, you know, like like a cousin, you know. Right, right. Yeah. Now I'm I'm kind of the same way too, and you know, it's I I fell in love with you know the the history of the team and the family ownership and uh, things like that, and I love some of the players like from the '70s and '80s, and you know a lot of the players now. So. It, it, greatest team there ever was, man. The the nineteen seventies Pittsburgh Steelers, the greatest team that ever played. They were they were. I, I, you're probably too young to remember them. I was a kid back then, um, but oh my god, what a team! I mean, Terry Bradshaw, Franco Harris, John Stallworth, Lynn Swan. I mean, you can just mm-hmm. go. And then the the Steel Curtain with Joe Green and Jack Lambert and Mel Blount. Oh my god, you can just go on and on. Elsie Greenwood. You know, they just were an amazing team. And, and since, you know, I became a Steelers fan, I've actually watched older games and seen highlights through documentaries and whatnot. And God, those, those guys used to, they used to tear people up, and it was just insane. Because, you know, you the way they played, you could not do today. No, and I think, if I remember correctly, they won four Super Bowls in seven years, and that's never been done. No mm-hmm. one has ever met, not even the Niners of the 80s, not the Patriots, four Super Bowls in seven years. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. And it's, you know, it's like I said, I, I just fell in love with the history and, you know, so many little nuances about it. And, you know, I, even if I wasn't a fan of a specific team, I just like the game itself. It's just oh, so much fun to watch. Amazing. But are, yeah, but are you um are you a fan of any other sports? Uh, yeah, I love baseball. I'm <clears throat> definitely a baseball guy. I'm kind of you know football first, then baseball second. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> I'm a Phillies fan, you know. And the Phillies have been doing badly lately. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm Philly across the board, man. Flyers, Sixers, you know, <laughs> Phillies and uh, Eagles. But Eagles are definitely the team for me. And my my coworker, who's an Eagles fan, he loves all the the Philly the Philadelphia teams. He's a Phillies fan, 76ers, Flyers, all of them. So my my fan base kind of you know branches between uh, teams, but you know it's it, it's it, it makes it fun. Like I've got friends who's I got a friend who's a Cardinals fan. I have a fan who, or a friend who's a Broncos fan, Titans, uh, Falcons and various things like that but have you actually have you been to an nfl game before oh god yeah i've been to a ton they're they're insane man they're insane and especially with the eagles fans i mean i mean they're (laughs) they're notorious man oh yeah in the stadium you know i mean i i have i can honestly say i've never been to an eagles game where i haven't seen at least one fight in the stands it's insane (laughs) so so the stories are true Oh God, yeah. Oh God, yeah. My cousin, um, my cousin was at a game, uh, and this actually made national news. Some idiot in the stands shot a flare gun across the stadium. Oh my God! And, yeah, he shot it. <laughs> he fired off a flare gun, and thank God it hit an empty seat. Um, but could you imagine you're just like sitting there watching the game, and some guy shoots a flare and it hits you? You know, God, that sounds I like mean, a lawsuit waiting to happen. I know. It's like what would go through someone's head to shoot a flare at an, at a football game? I so have, I have yeah. no idea. No idea. So yeah, and they have the prison underneath. You know, it's like a holding cell because there's so many fights, and they bring the people down. They've actually got a judge there during the games and you know and he'll 
issue fines and oh it's it's insane man yeah they're they're all the stories you hear about Philadelphia fans, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I actually got to go to a an NFL game for the first time last year uh, in Atlanta when uh, the Falcons played the Steelers, and I have a friend okay. who is a Falcons fan, so we, you know, decided to go, and it, it was it was an awesome experience. So I tell everybody who you know whoever if they ever want to go to an NFL game, do it. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. It's anytime you go to the stadium for any event, it's always cool. Definitely. Uh, one, one more football question before we get into uh, in the dark. I, I I've grown up since I was a kid. I've grown up a huge Florida Gator fan, mm-hmm. and we had a a former quarterback by the name of Mister Tim Tebow, mm-hmm. who was signed by the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, what, yeah. what, what what did you think of that? I think it's a great move. I, I think it's a great move because he's probably going to be uh, third string, um, which, I mean, if, if you look at the quarterbacks on the Eagles now, they've got Bradford as our starter. Uh, Sanchez is going to be our backup. And then you're going to have Tim Tebow as the third string. I mean, Tebow took Denver to to the championship, to to the uh, AFC championship, the one year, if I remember correctly, or or was it the playoffs? I'm sorry, the playoffs. They won um, uh, one playoff game, ironically, against the Steelers, and then uh, lost to the Patriots the following week. So that's right, that's right. So I mean, he did get them to the playoffs. So, and, but then beyond that, I mean, Tim, uh, you know, I I don't think Chip Kelly's just going to keep him as a third string quarterback. I think he's going to be, you know, he'll be a weapon, you know, to possibly bring on the field and throw passes to him. You know, use him as almost like a tight end, uh, at, you know, out of a tight end setup. Um, so I love it. I, to me, there's absolutely no risk in signing Tim Tebow and talk about just a guy of character and, you know, just, I, I mean, how can you go wrong with Tim Tebow? You know, he's just a positive guy, strong character. And I don't know, man, if he was my third string quarterback, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I think if there's any team that he's going to have success with, it's Philadelphia and it's because of Chip Kelly. I agree. I agree. So, uh, your your new project you're working on uh, called In the Dark. Um, what exactly is In the Dark about? And uh, can you explain to the listeners exactly what it is that you have going on uh, with your Indiegogo program? Sure. Um, in the Dark is an action horror film. Uh, we're hoping to shoot it next year in Michigan. Uh, it's all going to depend on the financing. And that's, you know, unfortunately, when you're dealing with independent films, that's what it always comes down to is the financing. Um, so uh, In the Dark is, is, is an action horror film, and it's set on this small island in Michigan that gets overrun by zombie vampire <laughs> creatures. Um, so there's, there's essentially a handful of people, a handful of people left alive. They're armed with guns. There's thousands of these things coming after these people, uh, and, and the survivors are blowing the crap out of them and just trying to fight their way to get off this island. Um, that's Now, that's kind of the popcorn version of the film. The, the whole story underneath, the whole underlying theme underneath, it, it's a play on immorality. Um, what I mean by that is, uh, you know, the main character in the film, he had paralyzed his best friend in a drunk driving accident. Uh, another one of the main characters is is having an affair on his wife. He's cheating on his wife. 
another one of the main characters, a teenage girl, is being abused by her stepfather. And even the vampires in this film, I mean, they're not like Twilight. These things are like crack addict vampires. <clears throat> Their need to feed is almost like a drug addiction. So, you know, so, so you kind of see how there's an underlying theme of immorality that connects the protagonist with the antagonist. Um, so on the surface, you know, it's going to be this edgier seat action horror film with effects. It's going to be fun to watch, scary. But then underneath, there's going to be strong characters, a strong storyline. There's going to be imagery that kind of reflects the the flaws of all these different characters. Um, so what we're doing now is we've started an Indiegogo campaign. Um, <clears throat> I'm also meeting with private investors, so I'm, I'm trying to raise the startup capital, whether it's through crowdfunding or private investors or a combination of both. And essentially what the startup capital is going to do, it's going to be used uh, to pay for our casting director. Uh, we're, we're dealing with Chelsea Block, who has cast a number of big films in, in Hollywood. But, you know, she requires a, a deposit for her services. Um, so we're raising the uh, <coughs> uh, her, her fee. Um, and then once we get her on board, then she's going to make offers to name stars We're we're going after, you know, quote unquote, bankable stars. Um, and once we, we we have to target, you know, we have to get two of them secured to the project. Uh, so you need deposits, you need retainers to attach these two stars to the film. Then once you get the stars attached then the way we're going to generate the balance of the funding for the film is through foreign pre-sales, a domestic minimum guarantee through monetization of state tax credits. So the overall budget of the film is going to be about $6 million. But essentially what we need to raise through crowdfunding you know, and or private investments, about $185,000. that will get us our stars, get us our casting director, you know, get legal fees covered, uh, get, you know, a... Uh, you know, kick ass <clears throat> Hollywood style poster done, um, you know, that, you know, because that's going to be essential when we market it to the foreign buyers. Um, right. You know, it'll, it'll start our production. We can start getting our effects team on board, our essential crew members on board, storyboards. So it's just kind of it's that that money is all about the the casting director, the 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 the, the named stars and then the crew essentials. That sounds like this is easily going to be the the biggest project that that you've ever done. Oh, no doubt. I mean, no doubt. This is a bigger film, um, <clears throat> you know. And we just started the Indiegogo campaign, so you know that you know I sent out press releases on it to all the different media groups. Uh, you know, I'm probably going to start blasting it on Facebook in the next day or two. And I've I've honestly never done in crowdfunding, so I have no idea if it's going to work or not. But I figured, why not? You know, let's give it a shot. You know, so if it's if it works, great. And if it doesn't, you know, if it, it, it was worth a shot um, or if it lands somewhere in between where it's a combination between crowdfunding and private investors, whatever it's going to take to get us that startup capital to get our stars and, and get the film finance. That's that's the goal. And you mentioning that, you know, you've never done crowdfunding before, and the only way you'll know it works is, or if it'll work, is if you do it. And that, exactly. And that's, and that's something that, 
you know, I, I had uh, a previous interview with uh, with another filmmaker who, you know, we were both talking about how a lot of people, especially in film, are afraid of failure. But you can't succeed unless you risk failure. That's true. So yeah, that's true. I mean, that's all I do, man. Honestly, everything I do is risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and and honestly, that's just in my DNA. I I don't know. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, the only way <clears throat> you're going to make your dream, if you if you want to be a filmmaker, and the only way to make your dream a reality is you just you got to throw yourself out there, man, and just hope and pray it works. And and you know, and if it fails, you know, it's it's not always your fault. It just you know, it just doesn't mean that it, that it didn't catch the right audience or or the right you know, or the investor that you needed, or, you know, if the film falls short, you know, for whatever reason, it didn't, you didn't connect right with it, you know? So right. it's, it's, I've seen great films that have tanked, you know? And, and I look at it and I'm like, how did this movie fail? You know? Um, so, but it's like with anything in life, man, it's, you know, you, you got to take a shot. You got to take a shot. Uh, otherwise, you know, if you, if you want to play a conservative and, and that's fine, you know, if you want to, <clears throat> you know, just have a regular job and pay your bills and live your life and uh, God bless, you know, but that's uh, that's just not for me. And in the film business, I mean, that's just that that can't be for anyone. That's true. That's that's definitely true. And um, last thing I'll, I'll ask you, um, do you have any uh, social media that you'd like to plug and, you know, also how uh listeners and others can find the the indiegogo campaign yeah and and thanks for asking me on that um in regards to uh, the indiegogo campaign for in the dark um we have a facebook page you can find it at in the dark it's facebook in the dark movie we have a twitter account for it it's in the dark jts which are my initials jack thomas smith so it's at in the dark jts um you can go to my website, which is foxtrailproductions.com, and we have the Indiegogo link set up right there. Uh, if you go to Indiegogo, you know, you can search for In the Dark. You'll be able to contribute that way. Um, and then in regards to my previous film, Infliction, you can, you know, go to the the official website for Infliction, which is inflictiontapes.com. Uh, you can find it on Twitter, our primary accounts, at Infliction Tapes. Uh, Facebook is Facebook Infliction Tapes. Uh, you can buy the film, you know, pretty much anywhere. Fye, uh, Walmart, iTunes, Amazon, Best Buy, Barnes and Noble. So, um, yeah, so we're we're all over the place. So, um, you know, and in regards to the Indiegogo for In the Dark, I mean, we've got different perks for different levels of contribution, whether it's you know, a dollar all the way up to 10,000, you know, I mean, for, for like a thousand dollars, it can be you and a bunch of friends can come and be zombie vampire creatures in the film. Um, so, uh, you know, for, you know, for $500, you know, you would get an IMDB credit and a special thanks at the end of the film. So there's, you know, there's all different levels of perks for the film. That's awesome, and I, I I love you know with these crowdfunding campaigns how you actually give you know give something back to fans who you know donate their money to help your cause, and and you know it, I'm glad it's like that, and it, it should absolutely. be absolutely. Yep, absolutely. I I couldn't imagine it any other way, you know. And then there's you know when you go there, you'll see there's a whole list. I think it's you know for a hundred dollar donation. 
you know, you get a, you'll get copies of disorder infliction, and then there's other perks that go along with it. So, you know, we're trying to give as much as we possibly can. That's great. Well, Jack, thank you again for coming back on the show. We'll have to have you back when, you know, uh, in the dark is in production and anytime you want to come back and plug something, you definitely have an open platform. Thank you so much. And, you know, let's hope and pray the film happens. And if it does, you're more than welcome to come to set. Uh, I, if it happens, I will definitely take you up on that invitation. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. A- absolutely. Well, thank you so, again. Thank you very much for coming on. You got it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you once again to Jack Thomas Smith for coming back on the show and having that really fun conversation. And don't forget to check out Infliction, available in stores now. Next week, we will be looking into the world of comic books with comic book artist Barry Gregory. And you'll definitely want to check out that episode. And don't forget, you can check out past episodes of the Derek Diamond Experience on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and NerdCaveNetwork.com. And various other things are available on NerdCaveNetwork.com. You can find all the various podcasts we have, the NerdCave podcast, Time for Comics, Fist of Monkey, news articles, YouTube videos. You can subscribe to us on social media. It's all under NerdCave Network. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and even download the app, which you can find on iTunes and uh, the app stores on other various smartphones. Just search for Nerd Cave Network. But that's all I've got for this week, so enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys next Monday. Listening to a Nerd Cave Network production.